And welcome to another edition of Across the County. I'm Noah. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, on today's show, I thought it would be a great time to talk about something that you don't see a lot about in the media. And, you know, tensions are at an all-time high in this nation in regards to an indecisive election. When you're talking about the coronavirus, so-called pandemic, people are just out of sorts all across the nation you know we're dealing with shutdowns we're dealing with family and friends that maybe don't believe the same things that we do and that with everyday life sometimes can just be a little much now i'm not going to say the holidays necessarily add to that but it's a good time to bring up and be aware of what's going on in the realm of domestic violence Got a great story and a great guest from my friend Adam, a great PR guy. And so we're going to dive into it with a 501c3 nonprofit that I think is second to none. And I had not been aware of their existence. So we're going to take the next half hour, talk to the founder, share his life story, talk about what the organization does and how you can become involved and how it can maybe help somebody in your life, maybe even yourself. So we're going to talk to the founder of the Ananias Foundation, and he was just a tremendous, or he is a tremendous individual, and he experienced this personally along the way, twice being arrested for domestic violence, and he wanted to share what he learned on his journey so that others could change themselves. I'm talking with Michael Clark. He is the founder of Ananias, the Ananias Foundation. And if you want to check out more about Ananias, go to A-N-A-N-I-A-S-Foundation.org. Michael, thanks for taking a couple of minutes with us today. I think we have a lot to share, and I'm excited to talk to you. Noah, thank you so much for having me on. So let's start, I think, at the very beginning. So where in your life did you take a wrong turn, or did it take a a wrong turn? I'm not going to say that necessarily you did, because situations obviously present themselves. We don't always make the right choices, but I think that's a better way to put it. Where did your life take a wrong turn, and then where, after going through it, did you say, hey, you know what, I got through this? God got me through this, and I can share this story to better others' lives and take them down the same path that I did, which is obviously back to God and back to a place where there is no room for domestic violence. Boy, you uh, asked where I took a wrong turn, and I would say that this uh, behavior of doing things that are harmful, um, even abusive to my partner were just part of my adult experience, you know, coming out and trying to, you know, figure out who I was as an adult and how I behave in a relationship. And so that was just something that built through my adulthood. Uh, Finally, when I was in my early 40s, it really came to a head and my behavior uh, was really getting out of control. um, And I was striking my wife and I ended up getting arrested not once, but twice for domestic violence back in 2005. So that was 15 years ago. And that was really the culmination of this journey of not having good emotional control, not being able to resolve conflicts in a constructive way. And uh, the, the pressures of that relationship uh, just brought out the worst of my behavior. And so while that was you know, arguably one of the darkest, lowest points of my life, 
it was also very much a blessing and a turning point for me to finally face what was going on inside of me that was causing me to behave this way. And uh, like you said, Noah, it really sent me on a journey. Thank God that it did, that I was able to look inward and find those things that were causing my bad behavior, that was hurting my relationships, hurting my partner, and ultimately hurting me. And so once I was able to look and discover those things that I was carrying around and develop a personal relationship with Christ, that really set me free, and it absolutely changed my behavior. Two questions. One, did you have a relationship with Christ before uh, the domestic violence that occurred in your family? And two, did you learn some of these behaviors from your parents? Because I know some of this is just through upbringing and what you, you watch and experience, and then you don't think it's going to affect you, and then suddenly you find yourself doing the same thing. And maybe that's not the case, but I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, so I'll try to answer the the uh, second question first. Yes, I did see domestic violence when I was um, growing up. I don't know if I learned it from that or not, or if that was just in the back of my mind when I got frustrated and at the end of my rope that something subconsciously said, ah, maybe that's a solution. Maybe you could try that. It certainly wasn't anything I planned, wanted to do. I knew it was wrong, harmful, and damaging. And yet, still it boiled out of me in those moments of, um, you know, frustration and uh, just loss of emotional control. Mm -hmm. I really did. I, I grew up going to church kind of off and on part time. And even as an adult, I uh, went to church occasionally, but I would never describe my uh, faith as having that personal relationship with Christ. It was, did I believe in God? Yes, I could check the box. But was it relevant to my everyday life? It was not. And so it wasn't until after I got into legal trouble and I was looking for solutions, uh, one of the things that my wife um, at the time said, if you want to see me, you can see me in church. And so we started going to a new church. And when I went, I started hearing this message that God loves me and that message that God loves me and that the mistakes that I have made uh, can be forgiven if I ask for that and that there's this potential for a new life and to be a new person in him was so powerful. I admit that I marinated in that message probably for a good year, but as I'm struggling to figure out how do I change my behavior, finally submitted to God's will um, in, in that year of attending church. And that's when things really started to change for me. I saw my behavior uh, change, my patience uh, grow a great deal. My reactions become uh, much more tempered and not abusive. And so that's really the catalyst that set me free from the chains of my abusive behavior. It's really amazing, Michael, whenever we try and do things on our own, even if we think that we're giving the reins to God, if you don't do it fully, 
in the end, no matter how long it takes, you fall on your face. And so when you realize you've given it all to God and that you're trusting him, things just seem to open up. It's amazing how it happens every single time without fail. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened with you when you were trying to get through this domestic violence and save your family in the, in this, at the same time. It is absolutely amazing. And I consider myself to be a pretty logical, rational thinker. And Noah, I can't explain this completely. I do try to talk about how that feels, the experience of knowing that God is real and that he is with you personally. Um, But it really is something that all of us have to experience for ourselves. And you, you do that by giving up the reins and just saying, okay, God, I want you to be in charge of my life. And, and just being sincere about that. And, and then he comes and we open that door and, and fills us up and changes us and transforms us in ways that we can't even imagine. So you get through this process and you realize your mistakes and you mend your family at what point, Michael, did you say, you know what, I want to start an organization to help people just like myself so that I can pass along what I've gained in knowledge, the relationship that I've formed even closer with God, and to be able to maybe start a community to be a safety net for people that are really struggling and having a hard time? What was the catalyst of the Ananias Foundation? You know, even when I was Early on in this change, I knew that something had happened, and I knew that I was on this path to change. I hadn't figured everything out, but the thought occurred to me is that, first, this process is way more difficult than it needs to be, and I just wish people would have pointed me in the direction of some of the good resources and intentionally introduced me to this relationship with Christ. Um, rather than having to stumble upon it myself. And so the thought occurred to me is, if I ever get it together and figure this out, maybe what I could do is reach back and help others who are like me. And so that thought was with me as I went through that change process. And, uh, you know, a little bit like Jonah, who God is sending to Nineveh, I resisted that call to, to do that. And so I just like, no, God, don't, you know, I have other things I want to do. And I, I really don't want to get involved with this. I don't want this to be my, my work, my um, career to do this. And so I resisted for really quite a long time. And then finally, uh, you know, about three and a half years ago, God orchestrated circumstances in my life and that calling just had had been there. And so uh, back uh, in 2016, we started the Ananias Foundation. And uh, so we didn't really know if it was going to be, uh, you know, writing something or materials or just exactly what it was going to look like. And and as I looked and uh, some other people who were helping me looked at what could we do, we found that there just wasn't anything out there that offered people the kind of guidance and the kind of encouragement to take steps in the right direction. And so uh, we thought, 
developing an organization, a nonprofit that would do that and fulfill that mission and that ministry was really what we were being called to do. Now, what I'm called to do right now is actually get the name of the organization right, which is the Ananias Foundation instead of the Ananias Foundation. So let's just point that out and move right along and forget that I even mispronounced it. My guess is Michael. No problem. My guess is Michael Clark right here on Across the County. Uh, I have to tell you, a couple of things that you believe really struck me, and uh, I think it, it's worth repeating as I'm reading uh, on your on your site here that says, regardless of a person's past, your future can be different. And that is so true, not just as a believer in God, but also just as, I think it's pretty logical. You said you're a logical person. We all make mistakes. We all fall, you know, face first when we're not doing it God's way. But we can always do better. We can always strive to do better and pick ourselves up and surround ourselves with the good people that have been through it, like you said, you wanted to give back. And there's always somebody that's been through the same thing. And also, domestic violence is not just an issue where men are the perpetrators. I know that's kind of a stigma that's been out there over the years, but women are guilty as well. And sometimes you have kids that are involved, which is even worse. So there's so many different people that are affected by this we can all come together and share these stories and be better for it on the other side. That's so true. And anybody that has been through any experience, whether it's the loss of a child or divorce, or they were arrested for domestic violence, God can use us to help others who are experiencing the same thing. And that's a tremendous calling in life. So if, Nothing else is there for us. That's how he can use us. And it will absolutely be a blessing to us for sharing our experience and to others who gain the advantage of our wisdom. But, you know, God is such a graceful father and wants good things for us. And what I have discovered after doing something that I am so ashamed of doing, God you know, dusts us off and says, get back in the game. I'm not through with you yet. And that's true for all of us, no matter what we've done. Another thing that I love that you guys uh, really just say is kind of how you operate. You're not, you're not shame-based, which I think it's a lot out there in society today. You know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have thought that that makes you a horrible person. You see that out there all the time. It's projected in the media and it's kind of not the right way to go about things because we all are flawed. We all can never live up to the glory of God, but we can repent and we can do better. And that's, I think, an important part of the process. I think it's part of our human nature to want to wag our fingers and let other people know what they've done wrong. And especially if we've been hurt or someone we love has been hurt, that's such a strong temptation. But when we think about how do people change? Well, people are willing to listen to people that they know care about them, who are there not to judge them, but to help them become better. And so we really try to take that pragmatic approach of we're we're here to help and how can we be the most effective? And that is by not shaming someone for what they've done, but help them to discover a better life where they have 
better, closer, more fulfilling relationships, and they'll feel better about themselves and how they behave and respond in those relationships. I, it's, I guess it's easy for me because I know I've been there, and the people who were in my life that were continuing to encourage me to do things in a positive way were so much more influential than the people who were wagging their fingers and shaking their head at what a horrible person I was. So, uh, you know, we try to take that same approach. Yeah, you know, I haven't necessarily been through domestic violence, but I know exactly what it is to have my finger wagged at me for for other things in my life. And it doesn't feel good. It never feels good, even if you are guilty. And in the end, it's never productive. It actually doesn't motivate you and encourage you to be a better person. So, you know, getting back to the the shame-based thing, that's why I think you have such a success with the people that you reach out to, because that's not something that you guys are about. You guys are about more of a, we're all, we're all human, we're all going to make these mistakes, but we're all going to get through it together. And also, you said, it's about who you hang around. And I believe that if you're hanging around the wrong people and you're trying to do the best things in your life, you're always going to fail because you tend to kind of follow whatever the company that you keep is. And I think that's very important, too, which is why people and churches can make such a huge difference. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But churches can be a big light in this, too, can't they? Absolutely. I know for my personal experience getting involved in the church and going to Bible studies and small groups and studies about a variety of life topics, I had the opportunity to listen to people who had uh, similar struggles or even bigger struggles than I faced, and yet I saw in their example that they handled it differently. And oftentimes it was how they leaned into God and their faith in God and just turned over the control to God and were able to experience peace and rest in that rather than feeling like they had to protect themselves, they had to control the situation. And just seeing that example was so enlightening for me and Uh, very motivational, too. It's like, wow, I want what they have. And that's really where these good role models and good mentors can come into play. And, you know, a lot of those people that influenced me don't even know that they influenced me. They were just talking about their own life struggles and talking about their faith. And, you know, we never know who's listening or Um, what impact that's going to have on them. But absolutely, when we share those struggles and we share how our faith meets those struggles, it has the potential to change how people think and how they respond in faith. That's why one of the reasons why I do my show and I, you know, people always ask me, how many listeners do you have? And, you know, how many downloads? That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me as I go into each show, Michael, is if I can reach one person listening on the other end, and make a difference in whatever aspect I happen to be talking about. That, for me, is a job well done because I have reached 
somebody. I maybe have changed their mind about something in a positive way. And that's my mission. So I don't actually pay attention to the numbers and the downloads. It might be nice to see once in a while, but I don't. it, it doesn't matter to me in the end. Noah here and across the county and very pleased to be talking with uh, just a tremendous individual that I think makes a huge difference out there. Michael Clark, founder of the Ananias Foundation. See, I, you know, I can say it. And it's a 501c3 nonprofit that brings awareness and helps people through domestic violence issues in their family. Again, this can affect women and men and children, pretty much everybody. And it's a community that I think is worth looking into. Maybe you're dealing with it in your life. If you want to find out more about it, we're not done with the interview, don't worry. Go to ananiasfoundation.org. So much information there. Now I really want to get into, Michael, the specific ways that the churches can increase awareness about domestic violence. I think maybe sometimes we go to church, you don't hear about it, you don't think it exists, it's kind of brushed under the rug. Everybody's, you know, every, we think everybody is in a you know, kind of a sunny disposition, which is fine. Uh, but what, what are maybe the top three that you would say stick out in your mind or the things that a church can do as we wind down the interview here? We have a few minutes to go uh, that a church can do to make a difference and bring awareness to this topic of domestic violence. It's a great question. And what we found in talking to church leaders and pastors is that churches are kind of all over the board on this issue. So one of the first essential things that churches can do is to talk about domestic violence, whether it's addressing it from the pulpit or a uh, sign on the bulletin board or in the bulletin or in the newsletter or on their social media page. And what that does is it signals to the congregation and the community that the church is a safe place for them to go if they're experiencing domestic violence in their relationship. So that's the, the first and foremost thing. The second thing is to be prepared. And um, so when, because we, we hear all the time that the church really is on the front line of this issue so many times. People are looking for safe places to go. And when they go and talk to their pastor and say, I'm going to tell you what's going on, they do that because they know that they will be listened to and it's a safe place for them to share something that otherwise has a lot of stigma and shame. Sure. And so be prepared not only to help the, the victim, because, and that's absolutely important to give the victim um, safety and support and resources, but that's only half the equation. And the other half of the equation is the person causing harm, who is also one of God's children. And so what can we do to help put that person on a path for transformation and change? And so being prepared to help both people in that equation is absolutely something else that, that they can do. And, you know, then the final thing I guess I would say is to get involved, uh, whether it's financial support or volunteering, uh, putting on programs with, within your congregation, invite a guest speaker in, talk about this issue in small groups or in programming. And this helps everybody uh, become more aware of the issue 
and more aware of the real solutions for the issue so that when they see that in, uh, um, you know, maybe a friend or a family member is experiencing that, they know what to do. They know the directions that they can point uh, people to, to to get some help. I also know it would probably be beneficial, and I'm sure as all 501c3s, it's a, a task to make sure you guys get done all you need to get done, but people can financially contribute to uh, the website and also volunteer their time if they would like to do so as well. I imagine you guys have uh, events every once in a while. I know it's a little different now with the coronavirus, but there's probably things they can do to come alongside you guys, right? Yeah, absolutely. We are always so grateful for the people who support us financially. We've had some amazing volunteers that have helped us move our mission and our organization forward. And um, so we'd love to hear from anybody that if God's laying that on your heart to see what you could do, we'd love to hear from you. And and uh, we'll listen and and find out what your experiences and your passions are and see if we can come up with uh, uh, something to do because we're we're still fairly young as an organization. We're less than four years old. And so uh, we're still building our ministry and uh, there's just a big long list of things to do yet. So we, we would love to have people's uh, support, either financially or volunteer-wise. Well, again, as I pointed out in the beginning of the program, uh, and I know people tend to think about it around the holidays, but unfortunately, this is an issue that creeps on year-round. There's always plenty to do with uh, Ananias Foundation, and if you feel a tug on your heartstrings, if you feel like this is something that you just want to be a part of, or maybe you need the help. Maybe this is something you're like, you know what, I've had a problem over the years, and I really don't know where to turn to for that next step. Or maybe you're the one being abused, and you just would like to get this information to somebody that is is lashing out at someone. This can be a great place to go for all those people. The website, once again, is ananiasfoundation.org. Michael, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I think we've covered a lot of ground, and this is something that I think as the years go on, and obviously we head into 2021, and things hopefully get a little bit more back to normal, and we get out and about, we could have you back on the show and maybe talk about what you guys are doing within the community. I think that would be awesome, because you guys have a tremendous service. You impact so many lives, and I think there's a lot of there there. No, it would be absolutely my pleasure to be back on if uh, if if you've got a slot open and would like to talk about this some more. Well, my slot's always open for you, my friend. In about 60 seconds, what would you like to leave the listening audience with? It just maybe some encouragement if they're going through something, if they're the victim, or if they're maybe the perpetrator and they're lost and they don't know where to go. What would your final words be? I'm going to speak directly to that person who as they think about what may be damaging to a relationship, they are seeing themselves in that. And if that's you, I want you to know that change is possible. There is a path for change. Others have done it. And really that path is digging into what has happened to you in the past, the emotional wounds that have happened and 
um, are no longer serving you, the responses to those are no longer serving you well. And when you identify those and heal those wounds, it will lead to changed behavior and it will lead to a changed life. Your relationships with your loved ones will improve. You'll feel so much better about yourself. It's absolutely uh, life transforming in such a positive way. And so I would just encourage you to reach out. Look, I've been there um, and would love to talk to you and, you know, provide some resources and some direction that are, it's going to help you enjoy the wonderful life that God intended for you to have. And I have to tell you, there is a lot at the website. I always like perusing the websites before my interview and finding out all that they do, all the information available. There is a lot available at the website, A-N-A-N-I-A-S-Foundation.org. The Ananias Foundation is a worthy 501c3 nonprofit, and it's actually, this is one of my final interviews of the year, and I have to tell you, Michael, it's it's a pleasure. I think this is one of my top nonprofits I've talked to this year. I, I hold nonprofits very near and dear to my heart. So thank you again for what you've done for the community, my friend. Oh, you are so kind. And, you know, it's, it's not me and it's not us. It's what God um, is doing through us. And so, um, you know, we just feel blessed to be part of what he's doing and having a front row seat to that. And so you have been so kind to have a, have me on today and uh, to be able to share a little bit about what we are doing and our story. Well, we will continue to get updates from you and other things that you are doing. We'll have you back on. And again, uh, Michael, the, just I'm blessed to have you. And I really feel that God is at the control on this and we're making a difference out there uh, one life at a time, my friend. So Godspeed. Thank you so much, Noah. Noah, here and across the county, I want to invite you once again, the Ananias Foundation. You can go to the website. It's going to make a difference in your life in one way or the next. A-N-A-N-I-A-S foundation.org.